Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. real trouble here, although they're lucky to get that loose ball. Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones, nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is checking up, goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap, Welsh captain make it? He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 33rd. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Uh, we've got a fantastic lineup for you this evening. We're joined by the man in form, the mighty Murph. How are you, Murph? Very well, yeah. Well, probably couldn't be better. <laughs> I couldn't imagine after yesterday. Uh, we have got uh, one of the, well, one of the founding fathers of the podcast, Daniel Killick. How are you, Dan? Absolutely exceptional, Jed. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you might Come be. on. Come um, on. I'm delighted to say that the guest this week is Garrett Davis. How are you doing, Garrett? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm still, um, still smiling. Yeah, we were just saying there with the... Uh, before we turn the microphones on, that you're, you're going to have to be the grown-up in the room. And that's why that's why we brought you on, to add a bit of balance <laughs> and uh, a bit of proper analytical uh, when we, we throw over to Murph to do the uh, to do the gloating. But uh, yeah, a fantastic lineup, And we, obviously, we've got stacks to get through. Uh, pretty much everything is going to be centred around that incredible Triple Crown victory uh, in Cardiff yesterday. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to getting stuck into that. But before we do, just a quick word for our sponsor. I'm Delighted to say that this episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast is sponsored by the Pascal Gozer stand-up tour, Live and Dangerous 2021, uh, fresh from his controversial but uh, but incredibly amusing set in Cardiff yesterday. Uh, he will be coming to a ground near you soon, so make sure you do check that out. Uh, one such reviewer who I know was very, very keen on that was, uh, was Dan Killick. Uh, Dan, where where do we start? Like, because I know we're going to talk about the ref, but um, there was plenty in there to be to be happy with from a Wales perspective. You know, there are those kind of games that we've thrown away in the past, and um, you know, as as we said on the the pod a couple of weeks, I've been you know I've been a bit skeptical about the optimism around around this side and thought Wales got a bit lucky in the first couple of games, but I think that I thought there was a lot more um, there was a lot more substance to that performance for me. What did you make of it? 
Yeah, I thought it was a really great performance. I mean, we put 40 points on England, didn't we? You almost don't need to to look to look beyond that, really. But yeah, fantastic performance. Um, you know, a lot of the boys, a lot of the boys had top, top games. And I thought you could you could you could really see sort of Pivak's, you know, Pivak's style throughout that, you know, throughout that performance. Really, we played played really well in the wide channels, didn't we? We had a lot of forwards out wide. And yeah, it was it was um it was super exciting. I mean, we've we look really dangerous, don't we? When uh, when we get the, when we get opportunities and we're winning. I, I'd say that at the moment we haven't quite clicked. It's not perfect at all. It's it's pretty rusty in patches and a bit sort of stop start still. Um, but yeah, fantastic performance. England uh, for me, it was there was a load of dull play, though. Really silly play from them. Um, obviously, the pen count has been well documented but they looked super dangerous out wide i was worried when they when they when they went wide i was um it 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 didn't it didn't uh, didn't look good at all for from a welsh perspective but they they didn't do enough of it did they and yeah we found you know we found we found a way around them. i thought tactically we were really astute we looked really switched on and yeah top top performance well, the man who knows all about tactics is, of course, Garrett. What did you make of the of the tactical battle between the two sides? Was it pivot masterclass? Eddie Jones get things wrong, or a bit of both? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to watch in the way that uh, way that Wales have progressed since the autumn, which uh, which obviously they, they needed to. Um, I, I think the there was a there's a clear uh, evidence that there is a plan. I mean, and, and there's a there's a plan that really suits the players, which I think has adapted Lords uh, since since the autumn. Um, so yeah, I think uh, William Pivak deserves a lot of praise for what he's achieved. Um, I think Gethin Jenkins, uh, you know how how long it takes to organise a knighthood, but he, he can't can't be too far off. Um, I, I think he's the turnaround of the defensive systems and the attitude of players to defend under the way that they want them to do it is that's an incredible result in a in a fairly short space of time, really at the, at the top level. So um, yeah, I think Wales have got lots to be proud of with, with their development. Um, and you look at the way that England played. I mean, I agree with Dan in terms. Terms of the the intensity that when they had quick ball, they were they were startlingly good. Where they had front foot possession and they could maintain possession maintain possession for a number of phases. But you know, when got players dropping balls with no reason to be dropping balls with very little pressure, um, you know, it's, it's hard to build and maintain good field position. And then just some very very peculiar decision making for certain players in the ruck area, um, giving away very silly penalties. Um, but you know, Eddie Jones has got his got his approach. Isn't he? I mean, we might have comment on uh, on his approach, but uh, I think there, there comes a point. And I think back in fairness to him, um, he recognised the way the way the wheels were playing just wasn't quite right. Has made some uh, some fairly significant tweaks in some places and smaller ones elsewhere. I've not seen that from Eddie Jones really. I've not not really seen a, a change to the system or the approach, and again the same result. So it, it probably is a bit of a reflection of the of the coaching decisions. Yeah, well, I mean, famously, I predicted England to, to get a grand slam at the start of this uh, the start of this tournament. I think I've also predicted a Wales defeat in every single one of these games. So um, keep going, you know. Yeah, I see. I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. Italy, 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 and France will definitely do us over. Um, but we're talking there about uh, about Gethin Jenkins, uh, but I suppose other areas that went well. Murph, you, you know, you, we were talking about it before we came on air. The lineout in particular, it seemed to be you know no nonsense, but 
just got really good change out of the out of the driving lineup. Yeah, it didn't start great. I think we lost the first one, did we? Maybe. Um, uh, I, I mean, from then on, it was really reliable. Back to probably as good as it's been in the last few seasons. But I mean, we still throw to the, the front a lot, which in a way is admitting defeat. It's not prime attacking ball if you throw to the front. But the, because the we mentioned the uh, driving malls transformed from where it was uh, in the autumn. It's worthwhile because we could buy in yards out of it. And we can launch from there, but um, everything. I mean, the the scrum came together in the first game, first game of the Six Nations, and it's just got better and better. The lineouts improved steadily, and the, uh, like Garen said, the defence um, <clears throat> is unrecognisable from the Irish game. So once you got that, and then you know the, those three things, and your kicking is improved because. Uh, um, Callum Sheedy picked up from his first appearance. A little bit like, um, if you remember, Gareth Anscombe in 2019, his kicking was off in the first few games, and obviously Neil Jenkins gave him a... I was going to say a Roger in. <laughs> That's not the word. A few master, a few master classes. <laughs> A few masterclasses on the kicking and just turned him around to really reliable test level, and that's what's happened to Callum Sheedy. So, um, it, I mean, they're the fundamentals: uh, your defence, your, your set piece, and your kicker. Once, when, if you haven't got that, you can't really be in test matches. So, um, all those things have improved, and here we are staring down a grand slam. I know this is it. Well, let's get on to some of the listeners' questions, and there we've we've kind of talked about um, we've talked about Sheedy, and as you can imagine, this. This has kind of dominated uh, a fair amount of a fair amount of questions coming in, um, and uh, I'm trying to pick out who the first person to uh, to actually mention it was. Uh, there we go, John Davis. Funny enough, uh, does Sheedy start against Italy with Evans potentially as a replacement? Um, I mean, the the temptation is to is to not want to experiment too much. We've spoken about this in the past, Dan, but. Sheedy looks the man in form. Would you be tempted to start him? I would be tempted to start him, but I, I, I wouldn't change too much now. I think we've, you know, we have made a lot of changes, haven't we? Throughout, you know, throughout the autumn, and we're, te- we're, we're, we're still trying to find, uh, you know, find combinations that are working. You know, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of changes at nine, haven't we? I think I'd be, I'm tempted, yes, but I, I would, I would keep with, um, you know, keep 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 doing what we're doing, basically. Yeah, what about uh, what about you, Murph? Would you be bringing Sheedy into the into the starting lineup? Um, one of the issues they've got to confront is there's a gap week again before the last game, is that? Mm. And so, so we've got. I think we've got a gap now, and then right, it's back okay. to back. So yeah. you, you would want to if we're having a gap. That means Sheedy and Bigger are probably going to run out for their clubs, and then mm. the temptation be would be like to keep them in the squad. For the Italy game to bed and back in ready for France, if that makes any sense, rather than giving Jared a run. So um I think they, they might flip them, they might flip Chidi as starter, but I don't think they'll change. I don't think they'll bother with Jared at this. I mean, well, we know we know that Pivac no, tried to get Reese Priestland in the squad. So how keen is he on Jared to, to start? Him? I yeah, I mean I don't we discussed this in the book. I think he's probably some way down some way down the pecking yeah. order. I you know, I, I think if you yeah, you're right, if you had a game. Um, yeah, if, if there was perhaps a particular co- cause for for wanting to rotate the squad, you know, if it was an autumn international series or something like that, then maybe. But I just don't think I don't think there's a temptation to you know they'd resist the temptation to meddle too much with it. Halfbacks is I mean it's something that we have spoken about throughout uh, Pivac's time in charge, and uh, obviously a, a, a very eye catching second half 
from uh, from Kieran Hardy. What did you make of his performance, Garrett? Yeah, massive fan of how we played. Um, I think he's a player that's uh, has come on really nicely in the kind of Pro 14, and he's played some solid performances. Obviously, with Scarlett, and then, uh, I mean, in terms of competition at your own club, it's you know, it's not bad going is it to have, uh, have the other international line at your own club, which sometimes could be a, not a great thing. But he's had he's had plenty of opportunity, so um, I was really impressed with him. I thought he was quality. Um, Gareth Davis, I, I rate him highly. Uh, I still think the best scrum half in Wales is in the squad, but uh, I think uh, I, was, I was still really impressed with the way that way that he played and way that he managed possession. Uh, I thought his kicking game, in particular, was outstanding. Um, I think you know, Wales didn't box kick a massive amount, um, but uh, I thought when they when they did it, I thought he did it with real accuracy. So I, uh, I thought he was solid. I, and in terms of consistency, I think probably Wales need a little bit of that right now. So I, I would uh, I would be quite happy to see him starting again. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it was really his second half performance. I thought he was solid, but well, there was a couple of shaky things in the first half. Obviously, he got charged down by Atoji, which could have, mm-hmm. you know, which which could have ended in a try, and got snagged a couple of times. But I was really impressed with the way he bounced back in the second half and looked really composed, and none more so than than taking his opportunity. You know, that that quick tap was it was a complete, you know, a, I know it wasn't technically the match winning moment, but it's moments like that that you win that you win a, a mm-hmm. test match on. So I think that was. That was a big step up um, for him. We've had this question in from uh, from the Dragon Thistle Rugby Pod. Uh, if both are fit, who would be your starting nine? Thomas Williams or Kieran Hardy? Who wants to field that one? Go on, Murph. Um, Kieran Hardy was great, uh, and uh, I keep thinking keep thinking of him as a pup on the scene, but he's actually twenty five. He is, yeah. Um, so he, because of his age, he's going to be around the squad for seasons to come because all the others uh, 30, 30 plus. You know, like. Um, Gareth is 30, Audrey Lloyd-Williams is 30 plus. Mm. And so so it's, it's him and Thomas. And as the two, I think, personally, I think Thomas is a better, better nine. So, but he's not going to be fit. I don't think he's going to be fit in time for Italy or France. So no, um, I wouldn't expect it'll be as you were, I think, for the rest of the tournament. Because, like we said, where's the point in changing a winning side like that? So. Yeah, definitely. What about, what about you, Dan? Where do you stand on, uh, on those two nines? I really like uh, Kieran Hardy. I think he's... Think he's an excellent player. There's there's something about Thomas Williams. Thomas Williams isn't the complete nine for me, and I think that we've you know we've been talking about this for quite a while, haven't we? That our nines have aspects. Each one of them we'd like to put together to make the complete nine. Um, arguably, you know, I would say Webb is Webb is that nine that has everything when he's absolutely firing. He's firing at, and he is firing at the moment, isn't he? But the the other nines have have bits that they need to work on. Kieran Hardy, I think, is is really exciting. Run the, the his support lines are fantastic, and when we when we get more of an offloading game going, I think we'll see, you know, we'll see more more tries, you know, more tries from him. I agree with with Garen. I thought his his kicking game was was good. They were contestable kicks, weren't they? And put it put it, you know put pressure on on England. And you know, I said it last week that the boys. Their, their back three are, are prone to making errors. Um, you know, certainly, certainly this campaign, and and I'd say going back, not not last year. Last year they were they were they were probably as error free as they've been, but before that they were as well. So, yeah, I think he's uh, he, he gave a real dynamism to the to, to the back line. It was a, a whip of a service. He was quick. He was he looked sharp, looked dangerous, and yeah, looks uh, looks looks to be good. Yeah, 
Geraint, this is uh, this is a question in from uh, from Greg Sherrington. How good was the game management in the last 15, 16 minutes when the score went to twenty four all? I mean, that was that was the bit for me. I like you know, as I've said in the past, I've you know, I've yet to have been converted into you know a big uh, um, not that I'm not a Pivac fan, but you know, I hadn't seen a huge amount to suggest that Wales are there yet. But that last sixteen minutes. That to me was really, really impressive to, to not just, you know, not just sneak it with one penalty, but to comprehensively outplay England and nil them. Um, yeah, and I think particularly with the game management, what did you what did you make of that period of play? Yeah, so it's interesting. I've been talking a lot about restarts uh, recently, and particularly restarts when uh, when there's that kind of thing happens. So you go 24 all, the next restart is essentially who's gonna go ahead next. Um and Alan Wynne Jones, ball above his head, just an absolute peach of a peach of a take, a perfect lift. And the moment that was taken, I thought Wales just looked really reassured. Um, and while I felt really nervous in every Welsh game so far, it's the least nervous I felt so far. To be honest, I think uh, I was emotionally in a bit of a state. But it, just in terms of the nerves of thinking, how is it going to go? You just felt so assured with it. Um, really good uh, start from me, good carries into contact, kicked accurately, put pressure on, um, and just got into the right areas of the field. So I think it's, it's the most it's the most composed Wales have looked in those type of situations so far. Um, and uh, I thought their, their choice of strategy across the park and when to kick, uh, just thought it was really well measured. And, you know, big, uh, big applause to Sheedy, really. You know, he, he didn't didn't kick particularly well when he came on against Scotland. Um just nailing those uh, those from the right hand side. Um, you only need three points at that point, and just kind of kept the scoreboard ticking over. So, you know, I was, I was really impressed. Restarts in particular, um, other than the last one, which George Ford played a blind do with in fairness, with a little short uh, short kick at the end. I thought just we, we built our field position really well and looked really comfortable on the ball. Murph said it there as well that you know obviously he had a, a shaky time off the tee against uh, against Scotland. I suppose you know like coaching. In the international setup is very very difficult because you have limited time with the players it's not something you're able to do but i guess kicking is one of those things that you're able particularly if you've got a coach like neil jenkins it is one of those things that you will be able to do a bit of intensive intensive preparation is that you know is that a fair assessment yeah definitely i mean it's um it, it's the type of thing you only need small tweaks really i mean she's got a he's got a different kicking style it's not it's not conventional his run-up isn't conventional he's quite quite straight on strikes the ball across is like a natural draw that actually they said in commentary got a natural draw on the ball uh, so it's, it's hardly conventional but it's only like very few tweaks you have to make really looks like he's approaching the ball slightly more of a relaxed angle uh and then just looks like he's got a bit more, so you better kid than to come in into the strike. Um, so yeah, it is then you can get big gains in short space of time, and who better than Jenkins to give you a give you a couple of pointers? Yeah, it's not that it's not the prettiest looking kick, is it? That you know when you compare it to you know to, to bigger and half penny, a kind of absolute like gun barrel straight, and uh, but it's yeah, but it looked it looked so effective. I thought he, you know, and I think the big thing. Is you can be an excellent kicker, but if your nerves go in those in those big games, then that that can be such a telling thing. And it just it de- you're right. I I didn't feel like he was going to miss those kicks, and I don't know that I've ever felt that relaxed going into the last ten minutes against England. Murph, I can see you smiling away there. Like you know, once 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 he started once he slotted some of those kicks, it just it felt like the pressure was off. Turning the screw, he was Jed. It's turning the screw. <laughs> But it, but it was really like it, it yeah. felt like that, and then you know. Um, but again, I know we we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that the bench the bench was impressive against Scotland, 
and I felt even more so against uh, against England. They, you know, some really big performances off the bench. What did you make of uh, of the replacement? Oh, uh, well, I, actually, I, I was thinking earlier. Not only was the bench great yesterday, but there's there's potentially more to come from the bench. Like Rob Evans would obviously, if it take Roger Jones's place at the moment. Uh, Ellis Jenkins has just come on and just been a man of the match machine in the last three weeks. Is it maybe less than that? So um, yeah, two, two league games in a friendly. Yeah, game, isn't it? I, I mean, don't get me wrong. James Wilson has been really like more impressive off the bench than he is when he starts. I think he, he really gets the uh, the idea that he's got to come on and make an impact kind of thing, and he, he seems to just come in and be an absolute pain in the ass for the opposition straight away from the get go, which is why you want. I mean, this is. He's a back row, anyways. His job, but you know what I mean. Doesn't hang around, and um, yeah, I mean, Leon Lloyd. I've already mentioned him in the, the other week after the uh, uh, was in Ireland. We were scrumming on our own line, and he came on and was solid, which is he hadn't been in the past. So, Corey Corey Hill, Corey Hill scoring record against the English. Come on, it's incredible. It was just I, unreal. I mean, you know, it's one of those. All the pubs are bloody shut in Cardiff, right? And no one was there. That, that would have been Wembley 99 type of level. Right I think you're right. It, it, you yeah. know, it, it could be one of those, you know, in a different era, Max Boyce would have written a bloody song about it. There would have been poetry about it. It was just unbelievable from start to finish. But because, like, <laughs> in a way, it was a tree falling in the woods and there was no one there to hear it. So did it even, I mean, it happened, obviously. But it mm. just hasn't, the the magnitude of yesterday hasn't, aside from on Twitter, where <laughs> everyone's gone mad, it, it, it hasn't really landed like in the public. I, I should be like on the sofa dying right now from being, <laughs> out, from being out all night last night, but I've just had a few cans and a, and a brandy and Coke last night, you know, at home watching what was on bloody apocalypse. Now there was nothing else to do. I couldn't go out. You know, that, that's how weird it all is yesterday. And, uh, and this weekend, it should have been, like the last days of Rome in Cardiff, but it just it should it should have been apocalypse now in terms of a night out, <laughs> yeah. not not watching not watching yeah. it on, uh, well, on the TV. One of my mates said when he was on the, the there's a quote from Apocalypse now the horror the horror is Colonel Kurt as that was all the English fans going home. If there'd been any English fans, there was no, no English fans here. That you know the the barber jackets and the yellow cords yeah. all trying to get on the train before any Welsh fans can speak to them. None of yeah. that. Nothing. Nothing. Could happen after. No, you couldn't even celebrate. So in many in many ways, that is the that's the the true uh, the true cost of not having any fans in the stadium. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, yeah, just the, the, thought, the <laughs> thought of those mustard those mustard corduroys heading uh, heading those big snaking queues to get to get back to London. <laughs> but there we go. Um, I mean, look, I suppose we've we've spoken about um about how how good Wales were, and I, th- I think we definitely need to do that. But obviously. Two massive refereeing decisions have have kind of dominated uh, dominated the the write ups here. Geraint, I'm going to turn to you for for this one again, perhaps for a mainly because I couldn't stop laughing when it happened. But um, <laughs> with with both of those, I mean, the second one, I think in particular, there seems to be if you look on social media for the for the right answers. Um, you know, there seems to be a lot of people saying that it wasn't it wasn't a, a knock on because it didn't touch the ground and it hit uh, you know it hit the defending player um, on the way back. It, I mean, that to me was the, the most clear cut knock on that I've ever seen. You know, I think if he'd have given that in real time, no one would have batted an eyelid. Uh, what is the correct decision in in, in that scenario? The referees. 
<laughs> oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one. I mean, when I when I first saw it, um, I I was utterly convinced that it was coming back for a knock on. So mm. that, that was my that was my first thought. Um, obviously, Zamic was over, and you could I could thankfully finish that phase of playoff because uh, I was pretty certain that he thought it was a knock on at that point mm. as well. Um, so yeah, initially looking at it, and then they obviously go through the replays and and they start to kind of discuss uh, all the. The things have happened on the on, on the ball's route down to the ground. Um, obviously, Nigel's at his at his say as he as he likes to uh, as to whether it was a knock on or not. And I mean, the, the some some of the laws in rugby are really clear, clear cut. Like they're black and white, and there's simply there's no debate in them. This is one of them where maybe there's maybe we've found a grey area that maybe maybe didn't even know was there. Um, I look at it now. And if I was if I was having to make a judgment, I'm not a referee, by the way. If I had to make a judgment based on what I, what I see with it, it looks like a knock on. Like it, does, it looks to me to be a knock on. Um, but the referee has interpreted, and the video ref has interpreted it, that the ball has travelled downwards towards the foot. It's then travelled backwards off the foot. Uh, how do you determine whether it was it whether it was actually knocked forward initially? It's then made contact with another player who in the ground. I mean, there's there's a lot a lot in there. I'm uh, I'm happy to stick to the experts making that decision, and, and they went with the try. So. Talking of experts, I can see I'm just getting a call <laughs> in my ear from the the TMO, the television Murph official. Uh, yeah, go, go on, Murph. What have you seen? Well, I just wanted to go over it again in detail because when they went to the TMO, it, I imagine it's because they were making sure it wasn't knocked back by an English player because mm. it, it, it there was a contest and it, it sort of went to ground and. And I thought, well, okay, they must just be just making sure it was on knock knock back because Neil Williams had gone on to score. So then they showed it, and it, it, it hadn't been uh, knocked by an English player. It was just a Welsh player dropping the ball. But then they rolled it on, and you can see it went down and hit his leg and went backwards. And the issue with the, the ruling is, as again I just covered, if you lose a ball, it's not a knock on until it's the ground or another player. But it hasn't hit the ground or another player. That's like, I mean, I haven't, I should have got the rule book out just to double check. But that, yeah. that is, as it's always been, in the spirit of the game, he's lost control of it. And Nigel Owens has been on media and said, if he doesn't regather it, he's lost control of the ball. If he doesn't regather it himself, it's a knock on, in his opinion. And I, I mean, I used to like the guy, but <laughs> but technically, on a technicality, and no one up in Twickers is liking this, it hasn't touched the ground and it hasn't touched another player. Before it, before it did hit the ground, it's hit the back of his leg and gone backwards. So, like, if, if it hadn't, if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been with the fact it'd gone to the team out to double check an English player hadn't touched it, we, we wouldn't that that would have been ruled out. If if there was no one near him and it, he just did that, it wouldn't have gone to the team out. Would have been given a knock on and Liam wouldn't have gone on to score. So it it, it it's such. I mean, anyone who has that try given against them is not going to be happy. No, no, I, I think it, I'd agree with that, and it's. I, I, I think it's a much fairer. Try. I think it's a much fairer try than the other controversial try. Let's honest. let's get Dan's thought on the on the first try there. Um, what was uh, yeah? What was you, what was your take on this one, Dan? So, I just thought we were we were we were alert, and 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 England were were caught napping really. Um, obviously, it's all over Twitter, isn't it? That that uh, people have counted. I think twenty six seconds seems to be seems to be sent around between Pascal saying have a word with the team. And um, if you're looking at 
if you look at some of the some of the shots from, from above, you can see that out 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 wide to the right, England are set pretty pretty much, mm. and there's you know there's three players then in front of in front of foul that are looking that are looking towards bigger and the ref, obviously, and there's a few play, there's a, there's a number that aren't, and then you've got um, Watson that's completely come that's come completely come in and and come off his wing, which. You know, you you've got to be more alert than that, haven't you? I would say. And Ford is then trying to <laughs> trying to cover for him and and help him out, really. But it's not his. It's not for him to do, really. But um, so I think, yeah, it's they they're going to be aggrieved. But I I don't think there's much in that, to be honest. They should have they should have been alive to it, and you know they weren't alive to it later on with the, with the Hardy try as well, were they? So they were they were they were caught napping. You know, you've got you've got to keep your eye on the children. Yeah, I'd, um, I'm going to throw, throw this one over, throw this over to Murph as well, because I know I can see he's uh, bouncing with excitement on this. What I would say, quickly, again, I would have been, I'd have been raging if either of those had been given against Wales, by the way. But I think the one thing I would say is bigger, you know, so alert. He doesn't just take the kick. He's there in Gozer's ear. Is the time on? Bang! Kick over to the corner. Executed perfectly. You know, proper. Um, catching them with it, catching them with their pants down. You know that does that deserves credit for that. Um, you know for that level of alertness to do it. But go on, Murph. What, you, what were you going to add? I, I just wanted to point out that um, Bigger didn't kick to Johnny May's wing because Johnny May realised they hadn't signalled for posts and stayed on his wing. So when, when like it, it, most of the time, when a captain gets told to talk to his players, he's only going to talk to the forwards anyway uh, and whoever's mm. in the area. He's not going to go around every single 14 players. So Johnny Mays realised they haven't signalled posts and just stayed exactly where he would be. Anthony Watson has come in to have a chat. And that's what's, that's what's happened. I mean, I still... That, that, is the, that try is the one that, if they'd ruled it out, I wouldn't argue you know, at all. I mean, I, and I, obviously, if it was given against you, you'd be cheesed off. But <laughs> the, fact, <laughs> the fact that it's us against England, <laughs> it just makes it all the more delicious. And then just yeah, just get your your take on it as well, Garant. I mean, it's re- there's no reason really to rule the to rule the the try out, but it's it's controversial officiating, isn't it? You know, I've, I've uh, I'm party to the additional angles, um, which in fact I've just been looking at, uh, rechecking uh, while you've been chatting, um, just to make sure I'm hundred percent accurate in, in what I'm seeing because you you get an opinion, but you want to always check your opinion. From what, what I'm seeing from the addition angles, uh, both Elliot Daly and Johnny May recognise the threat and then get straight out to, to, to cover across. Uh, Farrell had more than enough time. Uh, Gozer walks over to them, tells them, uh, or kind of almost feigns towards a warning towards them. Um, two players then leave, Daly and May, they then leave and go to the left edge. Uh, Ben Young's then is on the right-hand side of the mall. He's walking like nothing's happened. Like they've accepted the go with three points uh, and Wales have taken advantage of it. Um, now, a few years ago, when the penalty try ruling came in that you didn't go for a conversion, um, teams were being applauded for rushing the halfway and taking a kickoff. And a couple of teams at the top level scored, scored tries from it. And everybody was saying how wonderful this was, tactical innovation. Well, Dan Biggers just found another uh, opportunity for tactical innovation. So do I think is that one's unfair? I honestly do not think that one is unfair. I think that is one team 100% catching out another team by being 100% alert, 100% aware, 100% creative, 
uh, in, in what they were doing. Um, I thought they absolutely nailed it, uh, and the conference do it as well. Um, and if players on the other side had been a bit more aware, then you know you, they'd probably saved it because uh, Johnny Way and Daly they'd they'd nailed it on their side, just because then with their teammates being a bit more aware on the other side. And would that would I be saying the same the other way around? Yeah, I, I think I would be on that one. Uh, I'd be equally aggrieved on the on on the Zamet uh, Liam Williams uh, picture. I, I'd be I'd be equally aggrieved as the you know, a lot of fans are there, but the other one, no, I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty comfortable that Wales have scored an absolute beauty there. Oh well, I'm quite I'm quite happy to take that, and that seems like the uh, like the ideal opportunity to head into a quick break. We've got more questions to look at, and of course, we'll be looking ahead to the. The final two games of the Six Nations, or the final two rounds of the Six Nations, which might, just might, give Wales an opportunity at a Grand Slam. Right, we'll be back after this short break. Welcome to the second half of the Attacking Scrum podcast, uh, where, again, you, you won't be able to see this, but all four of us have been had beaming smiles across our faces throughout, uh, throughout the whole of this. I was saying before we started, sometimes it can be a bit of a chore when, uh, when you're, you're trying to pick out some highlights of a Pro 14 weekend that hasn't offered a lot. But, uh, but yeah, days like, days like this, it makes, uh, it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, and hopefully you're feeling the same uh, as, our, as our loyal listeners as well. And one man who is, uh, is, uh, is Rhys Lloyd. His, uh, his questions come in and said, blue skies, sun out. Why isn't more professional rugby played in the spring, summer when it isn't cold and wet? Um, it's an, I mean, it's interesting, obviously. I, I think the reason why is because of, uh, you know, because of self-interest and, um, and the inability to have a, a global calendar. But it does make a difference, doesn't it, Dan? How, um, how much do you find you know, that, that there is a bit more intent when, you, when we hit, hit rugby in nicer weather? Yeah, naturally there's going to be, isn't there? Because you, you know, you think your tactics are probably going to be a little bit different, and and also you feel different, don't you? I, I, I from, a, I mean, from a, if we can just move it on to from a fan's perspective, just seeing some of the photos of of you know Cardiff and how it was, blue skies, it just felt it's such a shame, isn't it? There was no fans around, but what a, yeah, what a great day, and obviously with us being being down in London as well, the weather was superb and just that real good feel good factor. I think that comes, that, that comes across um, with the players, the players as well, doesn't it? But I don't know, potentially we'll, potentially we'll see, we'll see more games in the, uh, in the, in the future in, in warmer climates, maybe. I mean, you, you know a good bit about this, don't you? Well, I, I don't know if I know a good bit about it. I think, um, I don't know, from, from my, my point of view, you know, and I can sit here and be, idealistic about it i think if you're trying to create a a better product in the in the northern hemisphere then i think it does help if you if you play it um if you play it in the in the summertime i think there's lots of advantages to it i think that you know the thing from a commercial perspective that if you want to attract new fans in um you've got to have a more you know it's got to be it's got to be concentrated around you know around more attacking rugby than than perhaps you see during the winter months but the other the other big advantage is you know you're not competing against you're not competing against football so people who might be casual rugby fans who aren't necessarily into the club scene for example um you know would uh you'd have much more chance of of kind of bringing them into the sport if um, if you're not competing against, uh, you know, against something like the Premier League, so yeah, I, I think there are a lot of advantages to it. 
And Garrett, what about this, you know, about this from an, an actual kind of, I guess, tactical uh, and and skills point of view? Because, you know, obviously New Zealand produced the, the, some of the most skillful players in the world. And if I've ever seen, a, you know, a, a might attend game on TV, it's, it's tipping it down half the time. Is it a bit of a myth that um, that this is, you know, that a lot of it is down to weather or actually is it is it backed up in um, in the way the games play out in the in the winter versus the summer? Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, look at the New Zealand winter. I mean, that's that's not dissimilar in terms of some of the, the atrocious weather they get. And you see with the rain, they get some serious downfall. In the the South Island sees a sees a decent bit of rain. Um, so, is is does that whole water? I'm not I'm not fully convinced. But then, having said that, there's no doubt that we're seeing a different game in kind of September through to early November uh, and then we see a, a different game as of end, of end of February within what a day last week all of a sudden winter left and spring arrived uh, and the game changes pretty immediately I mean we've seen some outrageous rugby across all levels in, in the last last few days um, so there's no doubt where the changes eh? and, and at community level that's particularly the case I mean, we, like as coaches we talk about winter rugby um, and it's, it's it's a d- definitive point in time you get to mid-November like our, our tactical plan changes um, the game changes and everything changes I mean training nice change uh, boys getting out, out of the change rooms out onto the park is is more challenging boy numbers of guys training is more difficult so it's um, and even training pitches I mean most community pitches really suffer in the winter and they, and they struggle with drainage and like all, all the things you don't really think about like floodlit pitches have enough facilities and um, the winter months they they do change that fairly dramatically um there's also across the flip side to it the pitches are significantly harder uh, when you play, when you play in the summer particularly in high summer um to the point where you get where you just don't do contact when it's when it's really hard um really warm we had some seriously warm days in the summer um if we were playing matches in those days i'd be seriously seriously concerned for the players welfare um that's not to say that the rugby isn't played in our countries i i get that but it's not like we're like we're uh, acclimatized to it through a long period of time we might get three weeks of horrendous heat that, that's probably the only three weeks we get of the year you could argue a lot, a lot of countries are playing in that in that weather they are acclimatized into that over over a lifetime uh, not over not over three weeks so it's um it's quite it's a bit more complex maybe um but i i think there's something in maybe a maybe a winter break i mean there's, there's potentially something in that um start your season off take i don't know take eight weeks out of your season when the weather's just utterly atrocious and your pitches are getting absolutely hammered um and then pick back up and play a bit later so play kind of april may when we're drawing a close that, that could be peak season couldn't it uh, which would be pretty cool in terms of uh spectatorship and i'm gonna have to see them so um there's yards in it but it's yeah not probably not uh, not too black and white that one Sticking with kind of yeah the, those serious points, Murph, do you prefer to watch rugby whilst drinking in the summer, or is it actually in the winter it gets you it gets you out of a bit of a dark spot? Because that's what really matters. Yeah, it's all about me. Um, did I call Leon Brownlee on Lloyd earlier? Yes, you did, and I was I I, um, I wondered uh, if anyone playing Murph Bingo had you know had uh, fifteen minutes on the clock for that one, the old the sweepstake. If this was a Zoom, I'd get up and go home right now. <laughs> Storm off. Oh, yeah, it's a new uh, one. What was the question? Uh, do you, do you, no, do you, fuck all that. No, excuse my French. Uh, 
<laughs> no, I'm a winter guy. Uh, uh, I, I agree. Sometimes when you get like really poor conditions, I mean, if you go back far enough, some pitches in Wales would just, it's a very South Wales saying, but some pitches are like the inside of a Clark's pie for most of the winter, <laughs> you know, like the brewery field in, in particular and quite a few of them. You're just playing on a, you know, rubbish surface and uh, surfaces are much better than they used to be. And I suppose it's the argument for fake pitches if you want to going to play all through the winter, you know, like at um, uh, the Arms Park these days. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, it probably would. I mean, you'd be out of the way that, like you said, out of the way of the football season. But the football season only stops for about two months, less uh, on a major tournament season. It's mm. even less than that. So I don't know where out of the way that much. And then you're treading on shows of cricket, and and there's all issues with the. Um, uh, I mean, the, the the front row forwards are going to have to <laughs> going to have to lose weight just to be able to play in that kind of heat. Well, so Leon Brown's Brand, turned into Leon Lloyd in the space of a in, a, in the space <laughs> yeah. of one podcast. So, uh... uh, it's the, it's I've just point out it's the Leon bit that I got confused with, not the fact that they're both you know mixed race gentlemen. I don't uh, I don't think I don't think anyone was assuming that. Yeah, so, uh, good. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean the, the teenagers wouldn't even the teenagers wouldn't even remember Leon Lloyd anyway. So. Oh yeah, there's there's stacks of teenagers who listen to this podcast. I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that's a really strong demographic. We're, we're massive amongst the. Uh, Whatever it is, Generation Z. Um, <laughs> right, let's let's take a look at this one. This one's from uh, from Alan Howley. I want to throw this one to you, Garen. Um, were our centre partnership exposed to having two playmakers playing against them? Um, I mean, I, I I'm, I'm not I'm not so sure they were. What, what did you make of how the how the centres went? I know you were very excited about it in the lead up to the game. Yeah, irrational excitement to be honest. Uh, when I when I when I saw the saw the team sheet. I think uh, Foxy is just an unbelievable rugby player. So putting those two together on paper, it I mean, it, it just worked. It, it sung lots of happy songs to me on, on, on the sheet itself. Uh, and then I watched them play. I, I actually, I like the way that uh, Josh North was used actually in a more of a centre type role, uh, ironically. Um, so he did a lot, a lot of the carrying, but from decent angles and loud, maybe Foxy to kind of build, build off a little bit, um, which, which I thought was, was nice balance. Uh, were they exposed defensively? I, I'll be honest. I haven't, I haven't spotted any clips that would suggest that. Um, I think uh, we were we were gotten outside of with startling ease when England played with that incredible intensity um, on maybe a few occasions. Um, we, we got outside of. I would say it's a centre partnership that were fault there. That was more split defence um, where we uh, we had to go really passive as a team of three on the outside. But then I thought Zamet on the edge of it managed that really well. So. Um, yeah, I didn't spot that, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, particularly that tackle on, uh, I think it was on Elliot Daly, wasn't it, where where Zamet just showed the wheels, but also wrapped him kind of rugby league man and ball style to stop the to stop the offload. I thought that was, yeah, that was it. That was exceptionally good defence. But I don't know. I mean, I just I can't get over the lad's pace. Like I know I know it's mad, but it's not just it's not just where he's you know where he's got a breakaway like he did at the end. It's just every aspect of the game. I think. He makes it look so much easier because his acceleration and his pace is just, you know, it's incredible. And the thing that I find most incredible about it is he's quick, he's lightning quick in an era when everyone is quick. You know, it's not like, you know, you just you don't get international wingers who aren't, you know, serious athletes in this day and age. And he looks he looks miles quicker than any of them. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm blown away with with excitement about the kid. He is, you know, he's the real deal for me. 
Yeah, 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 definitely for me. I mean, I think he's I think he's outstanding. Uh, was like, <laughs> mid quite public. Uh, he's I think he's he's got loads of good components to his game. I mean, he's a young lad. I mean, if you look at his um, his potential, that, that's pretty huge. Um, just got to kind of celebrate where he is right now. Really, just be kind of pleased with with where he's at. I was actually pleased the Wales used him on first phase because I actually think he needs a, a little bit of that in his game. A little bit of first phase in your face, uh, set set field position, and I think if you can. Kind of get himself into that little bit, like like George North is used effectively. I kind of get into get into the face of the opposition. I'd quite like to see him in those spaces, which will then supplement his ability to just be rapid in the in outside spaces as well. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, another one, actually, I think it's just part of Greg's question from earlier. Uh, who's playing themselves in and out of the Lions? Now, I know we often say when's it too early to talk about the Lions, but in a year like in a year like this, until it until it happens, I, I think it probably is too early. But from a, from a form perspective, Dan, who has enhanced their their Lions claims from either of those sides that you that you saw on uh, Saturday? Well, from a from a skipper's perspective, I thought Alan Wynne Jones was unbelievable. I mean, superhuman is the, the 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 dominant tackles he was putting in. I mean, some of the hits, some of the hits were just incredible. Work rate, everything that we that we've known about him, and he. he yeah, I was. I hope I was hoping that he that he schooled Atoji, and he did, and and just they 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 weren't in the same league for me. It, it was absolutely outstanding performance. Justin Tipperick, that he went out went went under the radar yesterday was was so so good, absolutely brilliant. He's a player that I don't think we'll ever see a player like that again for, for, for me. Um, I thought he was was world class, and Falatau was was. Was equally world class as well. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let a few of the guys you know talk about a couple of others. But for me, Alan Wynne Jones, Falatau, and um, and tips or something else. Uh, Murph, let's throw to you perhaps for for players who um, who didn't enhance their claims. Um, I was I, I was going to mention Billy Vunipola anyway because because. Uh, 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 Dan mentioned him in terms of uh, Alamin Jung smashing into him all the time, and I, I was almost starting to feel sorry for him <laughs> as the game drew on because they seemed to be not kicking directly to him, but kicking when he was in the backfield. Mm. Obviously, then the English player would look for him, and it, it, he was running up the pitch, and and you could you could te- you could see after a while the Wales were happy for him to be running at him, and it was either Alan Wayne or Navidi. Navidi is so good at defending Billy; he didn't have the didn't have the best defensive display against Billy that he did. And the last time he played him, I can't remember, it was home or away, but just completely bottled him up in one game. I felt sorry for him. No, I, I didn't feel sorry for him on that occasion, but yes, they did. And uh, we, we, when you've got Josh in the side and then Alan Wynn playing like that as well, it doesn't matter who the carrier is. I mean, as long as, as, long as you're not massively on the back foot, you can you can just soak him up. And uh, he, he's one of, uh, aside from being ridiculously strong, Josh Navidi seems to be able to tackle nice and high without without getting without slipping up and, and making it a high tackle and getting penalized. He always grabs him just under the shoulder and checks him and then someone else pounces on him. And just I mean, I, I don't know what his stats were. Uh he did have a lot of carries, but it, it, it wasn't like it was, I'm not saying he's completely out of the reckoning for the Lions, but it wasn't like uh making himself undroppable for the Lions. He didn't do that at all. I mean, yeah, I, I said when we did our Six Nations preview show, which is going to go down as like one bloke having got so many things wrong in the space of an hour. Um, 
I, I, I said that the Saracens players being able to manage their workload would, would definitely enhance England's claim. It, is, it couldn't be further from the truth. I think all of those key players who, you know, obviously thrive off the intensity of playing at the highest level, you know, they, they look completely different. And, and, you know, Billy's one of them. Um, Owen Farrell is, is bang out of form. Um, and, you know, I, I disagree slightly with Dan on a toji. He gave away a lot of penalties, which I know everyone's given him stick for. But at the same time, that's the way, that's the way he plays. I think sometimes that happens. What, one, you know, the, the one where he slapped Kieran Hardy's arm, I thought that was pretty harsh. You know, it's, it's one where he's got, I think he's going for the arm and he's got the ball. I didn't think it was necessarily a deliberate knock-on. Um, there was a couple of tight calls. You know, I still, th- I still think he's, I still think he's close to, if not the first name on the team sheet. But yeah, the, the other Saris players, I, I think, are, you know, are, are looking sluggish. Garrett, what, what, what are your thoughts on those? You know, on the Saris contingent, because when you've got such a core of players from one side who've been so successful, um, how important is it that you're that you're playing regularly and playing at a high level? Yeah, of course it matters. Um, I suppose you could argue there's a few of the Welsh boys who haven't played a good great deal of rugby. Um, Foxy didn't look off the pace today. And he, he hadn't played much rugby. So um, you look at I, I don't I don't know if that's the if that's the argument really. I don't know I don't know if that's the uh, the thing that we can settle on that explains England's form right now. Um, you know, look at Marco. Um, I thought Marco had a solid game. In fact, he was probably one of the one of the guys for England that. Uh, Contrary to them getting onto the front foot on occasions. Um, you know, Billy is it just feels like he's just been found out a little bit. Um, and guys are then teaming up on him, and you know, the best players always come through that. So I, I certainly wouldn't write them off. Um, he's uh, he's been outstanding for a number of years. And as they the best players, they get they do get worked out, every single one of them, and then they find something new and they and they step up a level again. George North is a perfect example. Um, had a bit of a, a, a lull period, and then now is he's looking sharp as ever. So um you know, Farrell, I'm not I'm not certain that the game is suiting him massively, to be honest. Um him and him and Ford uh, double playmakers are great if you're if you want to move the ball a bit, but if you want to kick the ball and then not really play too many phases and expect to get opportunities in opposition half, then it doesn't do him much good. So um yeah, he hasn't looked great, does he? But um I, I don't think the I don't think the game suits them a great deal either. Uh, this this multiple kick game. I mean, it's already out of fashion. Um, it, it's what four or five games into into it from the from the autumn series. So, yeah, those guys are looking good. And then guys again, like Daly. I mean, if you look at the other players who just just haven't struck any form, like he, he's probably one of those. And you look at players like Marlins, who's I think is outstanding. If if you were England right now, you you probably want to get some of those guys in. Um, ben Young's got a cracking try. Uh, not convinced he's done a, a huge amount more really, but you probably. England do have choices to make up those areas and in the position they're in, why, why wouldn't they change it? How many tries does he score against Wales out of interest? I feel like he always scores. He's one of those players like Will Greenwood who just is always on the score sheet when, when we play against them. Probably how England fans feel about Corey Hill now, I think. But, um, but yeah, he, he always seems to score. But, yeah, no, some, really, uh, some really, interesting, um, really interesting points in there. Um, this question came in from Patrick. How much credit does Pivak deserve for, for bringing Mellon in? Obviously, this is something you touched on right at the start of the show, Geraint. Um, he's had a massive impact, hasn't he? 
Massive, massive. I think, um, and it was immediate. It was literally not like a few games that lead into it. It was the next game that Wales's defence was better. So again, against England, the Palace Scarlets, uh, Wales were really in the game. Like they were played out in lots of ways, but definite improvements uh, defensively. And then stepping through the championship so far against Ireland, against against Scotland, yeah, it's been huge. I mean, and, and a lot of it is uh, a lot of the ex Welsh players have commented on the attitude that was present previously. That appears to be there. It's such a maybe um, it's, it's an intangible, isn't it? Attitude, but it's the thing that really drives your defence and the intensity of the guys to scoot it on the corner, get up off the ground, make tackles. Um, I just think that he's. It, it looks like he's he's simplified our system a bit. Um, it, it's less kind of hell for leather out of the out of the blocks, which um, which Byron Hayward brought in. Um, it's now just stay connected, get off the get off the line, stay connected, make your tackles, tackle in twos, get off the ground, back on feet, fourteen in the front line whenever we can. And yeah, I thought I think he's had a he's had a solid impact. Dan, how much how much of that though is you know is is kind of credit to to Pivak for for you know I guess having the the guts to to get rid of his appointment and you know I know like I we don't know exactly what it is but your gut would tell you that that was a decision that was made and then you know and then brought him in how much of that credit goes to Pivak do you think yeah we, we we don't know exactly what what went on do we but if we look at it on face value yeah you've got to give a lot of credit to to Pivak Avenue he's been under a lot of pressure and uh, you totally agree with Garrett that it was it was instant wasn't it you could see the difference in in players' attitude, then on that defense on the defensive line, the moment he came in, and he it, it seemed like he simplified things, and you know, really, really got the players the players buy-in, and there seemed to be a like an attitudinal shift, really, didn't there? When 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 he came in, and I just think that is that's coming more and more to the fore with every with with every game that we go into now, so. It, it, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Um, I'm I'm absolutely delighted that he's that he's there, as probably all all worst fans are. But you got to give got to give the the coaching staff credit, haven't we? Yeah, look, absolutely. We're um starting to starting to come towards the end of the show now, as we start to run out of time a bit. Uh, this question is from Robert G. Notting. I'm going to throw this one to you, Murph. Are some of the Gatland-era stalwarts like John Fox, Halfpenny, and to a lesser extent bigger, starting to look like square pegs in round holes for Pivak's side? Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, I mean, the big, the biggest issue with all of them is father time. You know, I, I, funny enough, someone printed um, uh, uh, when the team was announced all their kind of age caps and everything, and. You know, it is getting to be quite an old side now, this side. There's, one who never gets mentioned for age is Ken Owens. Ken Owens is 34. Um, all the back row are 30 plus. So, you know, I don't know. Good players will play under, uh, really good players like Jonathan Davis, for example, will play under any system. So uh, I don't know if he could be, you call, ever call him a square peg. It just might be that he's past his best. Um as time goes on, I mean, if he makes it to the next World Cup, that'll, that'll be a remarkable effort. Um, you know, even though, you know, things have started to go well, and I, I could not be happier, and I was, I wanted Scott Robinson to take his place four nights ago, so, you know, I, I all I can do is apologise <laughs> to Wayne. <laughs> well done. But we, we, we haven't reinvented the wheel. All we've done right. is get everything in place. Like, the set piece works, the defence works, like, 
defensive, we mentioned defence in the last question just now, defensive shape was shocking in the autumn. You had people like George North, who is uh, a ex very experienced test lion, flying out of the system and getting leaving massive holes in behind, and Justin Tiprick. So is it George or is it a defensive system? Is it Tiprick or is it a defensive system? Is it, why, why would players like that suddenly turn into, you know, clueless, headless chickens? So, you know, we've changed the coach and now, now there's a decent shape there. And obviously, the, the, I think the attitude might have been there the whole time. It's just, if there's a massive <laughs> M4 sized gap outside you, attitude doesn't, doesn't save you, no matter what your attitude is. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, look, I, 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 <laughs> I gladly buy Wayne P back a pint, but let's not get carried away. He's not, you know, he's not, we've just got everything in place now, set piece, defence, kicker. Uh, and then we can play from there. But, you know, he's not the second coming of Calvin James yet. <laughs> um, right, let's, uh, let's finish then by ha having a look ahead to, uh, to the Italy game. I mean, you'd look at that, you know, I, I said at the, start of the, at the start of the tournament when, when Wales were out of form that I thought they'd be targeting this game as a, you know, as a, potential, a potential upset. You can't really see that happening right now. But at the same time, I wouldn't be tempted to to make hardly any, if any, changes. What what would you be thinking, Geraint, if you were picking that side for the Italy game? Yeah, continuity is key. I think um, Pivac has done a done a, a decent job with his selection recently, um, which uh, I don't mean that sounds quite condescending. Say. Um, he's he's an international coach, um, but he's I think he's done a really good job with his selections in that he's rotated just a couple of players and he's kept overall consistency, but he's swapped. Know, two or three key numbers in um, and then change a couple of positions around as well. Uh, the adaptation between Ireland and Scotland was was really good based on injury and availability. Um, and I, I would hope he does the same again. So I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see the same starting 15, but I, and I would expect there to be a couple of changes in there dependent on obviously fitness, somewhere with uh, with a couple of key players. Um, but you know, if um if if Hardy is is fit and able, you probably want to see him start again, to be honest. Uh, um, Gareth Davis would, would be itching for a nine spot, but um, just feel that Hardy just needs a little bit of continuity at this point. And, and the squad's like that. So, yeah, a couple of boys coming in, and maybe uh, somebody like Corey Hill come, bring, coming in to start instead of coming off the bench, seeing both of them start in instead of coming off the bench. I, I think he's uh, he's a destroyer of, of rucks uh, and of ball carriers. So, it'd be great to see him uh, getting, uh, getting a real chunk of the game. So, yeah, just two or three really targeted changes of it would be cool. Dan, what's uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'd I'd make a change at uh, hooker. So I give I give Kenner give Kenner rest and make a change in the second row. I'd leave uh, probably leave Alan win leave Alan win out and and a change in the back row as well. And uh, yeah, bar that, I'd I'd keep it. You know, keep 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 the continuity going. I think it's absolutely key. Like I like I alluded to earlier, we've made a, we made a lot of changes, didn't we? Um, you know, in the autumn, uh, and I think we just need to keep some keep some continuity, but make a couple of couple of cute changes. Fair enough, right? Okay, I suppose the the big question is then: Are Wales on for a Grand Slam? Who wants to take that? Well, in fact, I'm going to ask all of you. So um, go on, Murph. There's rumours that the French government. I don't know. I don't know where my neighbour told me. <laughs> I mean, he's a reliable bloke. Good. In fairness, yeah. he's a doctor, so you can rely on. Rely on him, but uh, <laughs> he, 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 um, he reckons there's rumours the French government are going to pull the rugby team out because of the outbreak. It's not just in the French 
men's team. It's in the French women's team and the French sevens team. I don't know if they've got the same training base or what, but it's a, or is, is a proper a proper problem going on there. So there, there is a rumour that the French government can say stuff that, in which case we can't win a Grand Slam, but they will have to forfeit their matches, France, if they can't play another one. They can't. So we Yeah, but it would, it would be a championship, not a Grand Slam, would they? Uh, if if they forfeit the game, we win twenty eight yeah. nil, don't we? Yeah. I mean, I mean, God, just when you just when you thought you could like people are saying this is the luckiest triple yeah. crown ever. I mean, I know, well, listen, I, I, listen so, I, I mean, France. I, I still think France is the best team in it. Myself, honestly, I, I yeah, I like if I genuinely think if if we got on the pitch with France, I could see us losing by twenty points, but putting in by far and away our best <laughs> performance. You know what I mean? I, you, you could see the, the momentum really building, but then in France meeting someone who are, you know, who are um, in, re, in really, really good nick and, and potentially very, very frightening when they play. Mm. But um, all right, so we're going, if there's an outbreak, then yes. Uh, <laughs> if not, then no. Uh, Garant, Grand Slam, is it on? Uh, I said it again before the championship there. Uh, never does Cup Williams win winning Grand Slams. Um Kind of early to the two thousands, throughout the nineties, very different mindset. But as of that uh, fine evening in two thousand and five, I, I haven't felt any different about this Welsh team. Uh, I think they they are capable of winning the Grand Slam uh, without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, I think France are one of the finest rugby teams to watch uh, on the planet right now. I think they are incredible. Um, I still think Wales can beat them, even with their, with their strongest team. Which means the final say comes to you, Dan. And Slams on. <laughs> really, really, really on. I, I like. I love the look of the French side. I do. Really, really exciting to watch. But I just think we're we're winning, but we're not playing. We haven't clicked yet. And each game at the moment, we're just getting quietly better. Um, I really hope that French game does take place. I, I want that to take place. And um, yeah, for me, the Grand Slam is on. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, I'd, I'd rather we, I'd rather we played France for a shot at the Grand Slam and didn't win it than we won it by, you know, by some kind yeah. of default. You know, we want it to take place on the pitch, and you want to, yeah, you want to take on the, you want to take on the best sides, don't you? So, yeah, all of that to come, and um, that pretty much brings us to a conclusion for this week. A big thanks to. Uh, our regular, uh, our regular co-host to Murph and to Dan, and a big thanks to Garrett for joining us as well. I suppose I should actually thank our real sponsor, um, which is, of course, our good friends at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get your hands on some great quality coffee, you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. But yeah, we will continue to, to build up this uh, this Grand Slam uh, hype wagon uh, on, the, on next week's show, and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.